Welcome all you weirdos, Unity Squad members, and everyone who is easily amused by silly acronyms. As always, we remain the mutant member of your Weird Science Podcast family. I'm your host, Jason, broadcasting as always from the Wrong Turn Studio, high atop stately Weird Science Tower, and here with me once again is my man Ruben. Hey Ruben, how the heck are you this fine morning slash afternoon? Hey, doing pretty good. I am trying to stay warm and dry. It is a miserable time of the year in Seattle for now the next six months. So my beaming optimism may may go down and my scores may <laughs> may follow, but not this week. This week I'm I'm actually pretty happy with the books. And I am uh practicing my how do you get through Seattle life strategy, which is just drown yourself in caffeine and coffee. That's one way to do it. And I'll need to be taking notes because we have some Seattle style weather settling over the East Coast now as well. So uh yeah, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see if that helps out, and we'll see if these books help out because we have about well, four books we're going to talk about today. Uh, today, like professional dog walkers, we have a lot of number twos to deal with: uh, Uncanny Avengers number two, Dark X Men number two, Alpha Flight number two, and also Breaking the Streak Wolverine number thirty-seven. And the listeners, if you're wondering, hey, didn't didn't Uncanny Spider Man number one come out this week, and weren't they all really hyped to talk about that? Well, yeah, it did. And Jim and I talked about that issue over on the newly revived Weird Science Marvel podcast. So if you want to hear about that book and some other ones as well, uh, yeah, go over and check that podcast. A short version is Jim and I both liked it. I gave it an 8.3 and Jim, despite it being written by Cy Spurrier, gave it an 8, which is not bad. Uh, spoilers maybe for this podcast, I'm pretty sure it'll be my X book of the week. So, so Ruben, what what did you think of the Nightcrawler and Spidey Jammies book? It was interesting. Very good art. Um, entertaining story. Kind of unexpected, but it all sort of makes sense. And there was, I guess, a lot in the book, which I applaud. I'm kind of a fan of like a meaty book. But it, it felt like it rewarded me for sticking through the different size stories leading up to this. And um, yeah, it all worked for me. And it was fun to see the reveal of Mystique having clearly not died from falling out of the whatever building she was in. Yes, that's the the, the big moment for, you know, de- dedicated X readers to pick that up or seeing that Mystique is alive. I mean, we knew she was going to be alive because, oh, she's dead, but there's no body. Clearly, she's coming back. And it turns out that Mystique is alive, but a bit confused in New York City and haven't we all been there? Uh, so, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I thought it had definitely some pieces in it that are going to make uh, – Readers like us who have been going through the Cy Spurrier and Gala books and all the X books go, ooh, that's interesting. But I think it's also fairly accessible for folks who maybe haven't read all that stuff. At least Jim seems to like it. So yeah, definitely check that book out and check that podcast out. Yeah, um, I would the- say, it's, I don't know. I, I don't know. I guess I shouldn't have to defend Cy, but I, I don't think he's a bad writer. I think he just has traits that annoy certain people. Um, and if you need, if you aren't against him, I would check out his Coda. Um, which is kind of returning after a long hiatus. That's his indie book, right? His, yep. Uh, Reader owned. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's I have my favorite one that, that he's put on my list. Written. Yeah, it's really good. If you like uh, fantasy at all, it's a really interesting take on fantasy. Sounds like fun. Now, before we get into today's books, there is some quite major news happening in the the X world, and this news broke like a day after we recorded last week, which is unfortunate timing. Uh, and you know, Ruben, when we first noted the current slate of 
all of X minis were all kind of coming out at the same time, all kind of ending around the same time, right around the end of this calendar year. We asked the question, you know, so what's coming next? And we're starting to find out because Marvel tweeted out a tweet that tweets, <clears throat> the final battle of the X-Men's Krakoan Age begins in Fall of the House of X and Rise of the Powers of X. Learn more next month at New York Comic Con. And they attached a picture listing two new titles coming in January. The first is Fall of the House of X, which we'll call Fothox, with writer Jerry Duggan and artist Lucas Warnock. The other is Rise of the Powers of X, Rotpox, which with writer Kieran Gillen and artist R.B. Silva. So Fothox and Rotpox, those are some, some classic names. And this seems to be a very strong hint that, yeah, it's it's all coming to a close, right? I don't. This doesn't seem like the end of, oh, we're going from Rise to Fall to Trials to Destiny. This seems to be... It's all kind of ending. Yeah, this is the bookend. The, the title basically shows you that it's the end, which is cool, right? You put it on a bookshelf and you'll have a nice, cohesive, like visual depiction of the era. Uh, that would be neat. I mean, clearly it's, it's echoing the House of X and Powers of X minis that got all this started. So uh, my expectation is that all the other X books, you know, the minis and the ongoings are all going to end. And I'm thinking in January, we're going to get just these two series, maybe maybe weekly series, the way that House and Powers did? Yeah, that would make sense to me. I mean, it's not going to be quite just those two series, because Marvel then tweeted out another tweet about uh, a book they're calling Resurrection of Magneto, with writer Al Ewing and artist Luciano Vecchio. Now, we, we knew that Mags would be coming back eventually, not as quickly as... Uh, uh, what's her name? Mystique did, but we knew he was coming back. It looks like the X office wants to kind of put the toys back in the boxes, as we say, before yeah. whatever comes next. So I did poke around a bit on the Previews World website, which is a place for seeing what's coming out when and what it costs. It's like mostly for people who are ordering through their comic shops or for comic shops who want to you know, do their orders. Uh, they do have a listing for Fall of X number one for five ninety nine, which they say is coming out January. 3rd. 3rd, 2024, and one for Rise of the Powers of X number one, also $5.99, listed as coming out on January 10th, 2024, and one for Resurrection of Magneto, $5.99, listed as coming out January 24th. So no details, no solicits, no covers, no nothing, just name, date, and price. And, you know, this isn't written in stone, but I think it's probably pretty likely that this is when it's happening. And, and I'm just going to guess here, complete speculation. I'm going to say that Resurrection of Magneto is going to be a one-shot. I don't have any reason to believe otherwise. I'm happy with the creative teams for all three of those books. That looks like sort of my current dream team. And so I think that's – I don't mind if we have like a month or two of just reading stories by those people because they tend they are, to The three big excited. writers who are, have been you know, taking care of things, Jerry Duggan on a couple of books including X-Men – and uh, Iron Man and Uncanny Avengers he does too, I think. And of course, you know, Kieran Gill, we've been following through e Eternals and into Immortal and uh, Al Ewing doing X-Men Red and, and the things connected to that. So yeah, they, they got the right people on the series and we've been enjoying this run. Not everyone has liked the whole Krakoan era, but I, I hope it comes to a good, satisfying... Ewing on the Magneto book makes me think that the Araco story is going to continue until... Magneto returns. I have a feeling he's gonna kind of bookend that story. That's really an interesting question. Like, if we're going to end this whole era, what is going to happen with you know these other this whole new population of mutants on a whole other 
planet. Are they going to put that back in the box? Are they going to send them off through a, a portal back to some other dimension? I don't know. They can get question. on board nowhere with the brood and go back to whatever <laughs> weird dimension nowhere was in. I still don't understand the point of that plot line of sending nowhere away and then bringing it back. But yeah, I, I still don't really know what happened in that plot line. There was there was twins and they were gone, but but that's a whole other confusion. We have enough confusion to talk about today with our own books. So let's head right into Uncanny Avengers number two oh five, which is written by Jerry Duggan, art by Javier Garon, uh, colors by Maury Hollowell, letters by Travis Lanham, designed by Tom Muller and Jay Bowen. Now, on my first read-through, I, 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 I like this comic quite a bit. But on the second read-through, I got a, a bit more confused. So I know you like this one, Ruben. Maybe you can help deconfuse me. So we've got the new Mutant Liberation Front, or the new MILFs, headed by a fake Captain Krakoa, who I'm now pretty confident is going to be Hydra Cap from Secret Empire. Uh, the other new MILFs are Blob, Wildside, and the Fenris Twins. Now, these others don't know about the Orcus connection, right? They think they're actually fighting on behalf of mutant kind. I think that's what's insinuated. But then why are the Fenris twins there, given that they work for Orcus? They work for Orcus. They think they're working with Captain Krakoa. I mean, they're just happy to be out of the pit, right? Yeah. And maybe that's the answer is they got they got rescued and they're like, we'll stick with whoever rescued us. I could buy it. So the new MILFs attack some military base, and, and Cap's Unity Squad arrives to fight them. Quicksilver runs into the base, starts fighting with some Orcus goons who are working with the new MILFs. So, um, unsure. I guess so. Maybe, maybe. I guess my my headcanon is is just going to be that o- only Captain Krakoa knows that these Orcus people are there. I don't know what the other people on his team think they're doing because this. The Orcus people, are, they steal this nuclear warhead, which is the whole purpose. So do, do Blob and Wildside and the Fenrises not know about that? I'm just, yeah, that's what well, confuses me, is just that relationship between these parts of the same team. Do we know these are Orcus skins? They've got the logo on their shoulder. Do they? Yeah. That I'm circle just... with the little pie chart things around the edges. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. And then at, uh, okay. further on, they interrogate one of them, and he's the one who kills himself with a cyanide capsule. Yeah, he's definitely yeah. got Orcus on. Okay. Well. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm just confused yeah. as who knows who's connected to what. Uh, and it wasn't even clear to me that the Avengers knew that a warhead was stolen, except later on, Deadpool confirms in dialogue they know they do. Uh, Dr. Stasis and Modoc back in orcas itself they didn't know the nuke was going to be stolen uh so i'm thinking there's just the way i can make it work in my head is there's a special semi-elite squad of orcas goons who report only to captain krakoa but if so maybe they shouldn't be wearing orcas uniforms just like ms marvel shouldn't have been wearing x-men logo when she's undercover i know it's, it's a comic book it's meant to be clear to the reader i guess but it it wasn't clear to this reader i was confused yeah well now i'm confused too Oh, good. I dragged you down to my level. <laughs> That's what this is about. So, yeah. Listeners, if you have, if you can deconfuse the both of us, tell us how Orcus and Captain Krakoa and the other members of the team, what they all know about each other. That That's what I don't know about. But, so moving on to the next scene, we go to Ellis Island, which is apparently, have we seen Cap hang out in a headquarters here before, or is this Brandy new? Well, I'm not, I'm not an expert on that, so I couldn't tell you. But I haven't seen him here before. But you know, I mean, he's, he's Captain America. Put him in Ellis Island. It works. Uh, so yeah, there's an odd bit here where so Cap had got his arm really badly injured at the end of last issue by Captain Krakoa, uh, and there's a weird bit here where they use it says 
the frame from one of Bucky's old you know, mechanical arms kind of wrap around Cap's arm while it heals. Now, I don't, I don't see how this makes any sense at all medically because the arm still moves and bends and a cast is supposed to make that not happen. But if, for instance, hypothetically, in the next issue or so, we're going to have two identical Steve Rogerses on panel at the same time, it really would be handy to have one of them uh, have a silver arm so we could tell them apart. So I'm taking this as further evidence that we're going to get Hydra Cap versus Cap. And I think that's the only reason this happened. This is pretty funny, actually, because it is basically just a cast, right? <laughs> a metal cast. You'd think so, but he uses his arm <laughs> to throw the shield around, and he's bent. I don't know what... I mean, he's got the super soldier serum. I think it's mostly cosmetic. I think it's, most, again, yeah. mostly for us, the readers, so we know which Cap is which. Uh-huh. So then we get into some semi-standard with a twist, kind of bickering over who should be in charge. We, you know, this is goes back to X-Men lore all the way to like Storm versus Cyclops, right? Who should be in charge? But the twist here is that, and I don't know why this is true, but they say whoever's the leader is going to be in the most danger. And I don't think I buy that, but let's go with it. Uh, having It is true that having, having Captain America killed by a mutant or you know, by an apparent mutant, if it's Captain Krola, would be really bad PR for the mutants, right? That I mean, they're in bad shape already. If they kill off or people think they've killed off Captain freaking America, forget about it. So the voice of reason here turns out to be Deadpool. And it's done really well. I thought this was one of the better little dialogue moments in the book. Uh, another excuse or reason for Wade to talk up his eternal loyalty to Steve Rogers. And another prediction, I'm doing all the predictions this week, I'm saying in the final issue, Deadpool will get the heroic moment where he either saves the real Steve from the fake one, or maybe he kills off the fake Steve Rogers who took such advantage of him over in Secret Empire. Maybe both. You think that's going to happen? Yeah, that'd be a fitting end. I actually like that. I didn't think that was where this was going, but totally makes sense. Yeah. Which one's the real one? The the old trope of the doppelganger. I'm Steve. Kill him. No, I'm yeah, Steve. Yeah. Kill him. I mean, yeah. Maybe not quite that uh, tropey, but we'll see. <laughs> Okay, now we've checked in with the uh, Unity Squad. Now we're going to check in with Orcus. And that's the scene with Modoc and Dr. Stasis, which is really just there to remind us that Captain Krakoa works for them, but he's also kind of a free agent, wild card. And also they drop some cryptic hints about Captain Krakoa, who is definitely going to be Hydra Cap. And if he's not, boy, am I going to be embarrassed when that turns out to be wrong. Uh, moving on, uh, check in with the, the new MILFs. This is, a, this is also a kind of a fun character scene. Uh, where we see this team hanging out at their secret base. Now, the Fenrises don't like to eat MREs. Lob does. That's kind of funny. Uh, the most important bit here is Captain Krakoa walking into Andrea's, I don't know how to say their names differently, the girl Fenris, the Fenris sister. She's taking a shower. Uh, he walks into the shower, taking off his Krakoan armor in front of her so they can make sweet love there in the shower. A lot of, a lot of sex this week in the books. We'll get this more later. Uh, his face is still hidden from us. But she recognizes him, and he tells her to better keep it a secret. Now, her brother, the male Fenris, is right outside the shower room, and the issue hints that he's, I don't know, is he supposed to be gay or just, like, really into his sister? Kind of both. It's just, like, some sort of weird, creepy thing going on between them. I don't think they want to be too specific. Yeah, I think they've always just insinuated that he's got some sort of, like... Sister complex. Sister complex, yeah, just because... Yes, the fact that he's a Nazi is not... Enough to make you dislike him. They got to add that too. I think it was the first issue where they joked about, oh, you don't like any women except your sister. Mm. Uh, oh, we also learned in the scene that Blob does not use a CPAP machine when he sleeps, but he probably should. 
So get that looked into, Blob. It's, it's you know, tough on the heart if you're snoring that much. A little sleep app. Okay, so uh, next scene, uh, Steve meets with Ben Urich. Is it Urich? Urich? I'm going to go with Urich. I never know how to say his name. Oh, well. So he meets with uh, Ben, reporter Ben, atop the Daily Bugle building. Uh, and Cap just wants Urich to know that this Captain Krakoa ain't really Cyclops. And there's this existing relationship when Cyclops, when he was Captain Krakoa, gave that whole mutant resurrection reveal to Ben Urich. Now, Urich here says he needs proof. He can't just go with Cap's word on this. And so he does confirm for readers that Orcus is super popular. He says that Orcus, quote, has a higher approval rating than any of our current presidential candidates, which frankly in the current world is not all that impressive, but that's a different podcast. Uh, I'll, I'll just remind listeners again that I am convinced, at least my headcanon, is all of Jerry Duggan's omniscient narration boxes throughout his various titles will turn out to have been written in the future by Ben Urich. I'm still going with that. Predictions all over the place. Anything to add about uh, this Ben scene? Do you know who this uh, guy with the flag is in the flashback? I, I didn't read Daredevil Born oh, Again. But I was interested about that. Nuke, I believe. Nuke. Yeah, Some he's sort of like radical. Guy. He's okay. the one who takes the red, white, and blue steroid type pills to do stuff. Okay. Yeah. Your, your basic, uh, I think, think is a Frank Miller character. Is that a story the, worth reading or is it about as interesting as it looks in this panel? Uh, it's, it's, it's Frank Miller being very Frank Miller, but I, I, I like Frank Miller, so I would, I would say it's worthwhile. I'm pretty sure this is the first nuke. He takes Captain America and turns him into a hyper patriot in a, in a really bad way. All the bad tropes about being militaristic <laughs> in America first. Yeah. It, it's, it's, you know, it's not subtle. It's Frank yeah. Miller, but, but I like it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Daredevil Born Again is, is one of the classic titles. Uh, so very, very last scene. It's, it's one page. Uh, we see the Orcus goons again, wearing their Orcus uniforms, bring that stolen nuclear weapon into a science fair at Empire State University. And frankly, they seem to have taken a giant warhead through a tiny revolving door. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't get it. Maybe there's another door. It sure looks like they're bringing a giant warhead through a little door. Uh, and we see a handy digital display on the warhead counting down from 12 to 11.59. Yeah, I laughed about this. I was like, got to force that Miss Marvel connection. So do you, I, I hope this really is going to show up in Ms. Marvel, right? They, they can't yes. ignore this. It's so huge. It's got to be in, in that next issue. It doesn't say in any editor's note, you know, see Ms. Marvel, this continues in Ms. Marvel number whatever. But I'm hoping the crossover really happens because they are at the same exact place at the same exact time. Yes. And does this mean that the Orcus leadership doesn't know about this? I'm really confused now about what you pointed out. Yeah, so Orcus leadership knows that Captain Krakoa and his team and his Took team of assistant goons have the nuke. And yes. there's a joke about, yeah, I hope they don't blow up an American city. Well, you know, maybe Cincinnati, who needs Cincinnati, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. So it does seem to me like the setup is Captain Krakoa is going to blow up a nuke in New York City and blame the mutants for it. But as the if thing the is, there was, already a, there was already an Orcus group here at the school, right? So did they yes. not... Did they not call back and say, hey, why do we receive this nuke at our site? This is a really poorly run organization is what I'm getting at. (laughs) (laughs) Right. There's poor communication somewhere, either in Orcus or in the X office or maybe both. Yes. They need to do some kind of uh, eval on their their organization and how information gets filtered back. And and once again, are you talking about Orcus or the X office? (laughs) Okay. 
So yeah, overall, <laughs> jokes aside, this was an okay comic. Uh, Javier Garones, I'm saying his name different every time too. Let's let's say I'm doing that on purpose. His art style is growing on me. I'm still not crazy about the airbrushy kind of action figure coloring style, especially on people. Some of the faces look a little too much like dolls, but the action and the detail and the backgrounds all look great. So no credit there. He uses this trick a few times and it works for me every time where he has a person or object kind of break right out of the rectangular panel borders, like uh, the Fenris brother getting punched out of the panel by Quicksilver, that kind of thing. And it gives a nice 3D effect and you know, maybe I'm a sucker, but it works on me every time. Uh, I do wish the Orca stuff would be more clear. I'm not going to kick that again. And there's just a general problem, I think, in this book where we have a short miniseries with two teams and a ton of characters, some of them not having all that much to do. And I think there's a, that's just inherent in the way this book is set up. But, you know, it is a decent read. I enjoy it. I do want to know the answers to my confusions because I want to know what's happening. And I'm going to give this a 7.3 out of 10. Yeah, I enjoyed it. The, the dialogue was fun. The story was fun. I, I particularly, I, I hate to be the jerk to laugh about this, but I really enjoyed when they got to their Ellis Island base and immediately fired Captain America as the leader. <laughs> it was like a total dick move. It's like, you get a base <laughs> for us. It's kind of true, but you got to fight over who's the leader, right? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, it was fun. There was a lot of fun here, but this this miscommunication within Orcas really bugs me. So I can't go higher than a seven. But a seven. Okay. It's, a, it's a fun story. I, I want to dock it more than that, but it's, it is it is enjoyable. I can't go down. The good stuff is, is good enough that you, you really can't go below a seven, I would say. Okay, so that is our first book. And heading on to our second, which is Dark X-Men number two of five, written by Steve Fox, art by Jonas Scharf, colors by Frank Martin, Letters by Clayton Cowles, designed by Tom Muller and Jay Bowen. Speaking of books with maybe too many characters, right? But uh, yeah, let, let's see how quickly we can get through this. So last issue, it seemed like they were two separate X-Men teams, not really coordinating. We had Gambit, Angel, and Maggot, who were there to rescue teenage child of the Atom, Carmen Cruz, and then Madeline Pryor and her band of wacky misfits riding in like a demonic cavalry. But on this issue, they all seem to be like one dysfunctional kind of team, right? So the outcome of last week's misadventure is that Carmen is rescued, but Havoc is badly wounded. Angel is both wounded and captured by Orcus. In fact, it turns out he's more than wounded. Angel, Warren Worthington, original 5 X-Man, he's dead. He even has his picture crossed out on the title page. Uh, speaking of changes, Carmen changes her mutant name from gimmick to faint for reasons completely opaque to me. I don't I, I don't get that. I, it seems a bad sign if you've got a brand new character already changing their name repeatedly. I think that character may have had a few different names, though, so it could just be consistent with that. Well, she went, took a while to choose gimmick. As far as I know, she's only been... Carmen I, I think she had like a, a name on the her Children of the Atom kind of thing, where she... I, I don't even know. I, I don't remember that book, and I don't want to. Uh, so the X-Men also wind up having custody of a non-functioning Wolverine robot named Albert, who has his own crazy backstory. Uh, the Albert robot winds up, in this issue, being inhabited by the fleshy grossness of Zero, Kenji Ueto. Kind of like a hermit crab, I guess. It's, it's, it's really gross. Now, unbeknownst to the team, Albert is sending constant audio, video, and location data right back to Orcus. Oops. Okay, so in the first scene, we pick up right where we left off last issue with this book set of Orcus baddies. Uh, isn't it odd, speaking of 
lack of communication that every book has its own set of bad guys, but they're all like different local orcus groups, very compartmentalized, very much. Uh, they don't talk to each other. This book's main pair are Agent Kroll and Agent Valens, two new characters. He's a bad guy who does evil stuff with robots and AI, and she's a bad guy who does evil stuff with magic. I, I think that's all we need to know about them. They're very mm -hmm. standard, tropey, bad guy characters. Mm -hmm. We are told that no one at Orcas really knows when or why either of them were hired, which is kind of fun. Yes. So they're in charge of two living weapons, the Madeline Pryor and Kurt Wagner from a dead universe. This Madeline has given up her mutant powers and tripled down on magic. And at the end of this issue, we'll see some of her magical handy. Those are the bad guys. Now we check in on our heroes back in the Limbo Embassy. They argue a lot here while Maddie does some magical hoodoo to patch up Havoc. And Havoc is less than 100% after this treatment. For the whole rest of this issue, even his word balloons are look kind of shaky and staticky. So Yeah, I think he's drugged up on something. Yeah, magic. Yeah, the magic is, has not been completely effective on him. He's not, he's not back to factory spec. Then Maddie puts on a magical version of a Cerebro helmet that she calls the Mercy Crown. And we get a page where she sees what's going on in all the other books. And also two scenes that we'll get to later in this book. Those being Callisto on a boat and a teenager surrounded by large mushrooms. Now, I know you noticed something in this uh, this little tableau that I didn't, uh, Ruben. So why don't you talk about that? Yeah, so I read this before I read Uncanny uh, Spider-Man. And you see Mystique walking through a sewer. So I was like, oh, I guess she's back. That's pretty cool. And the other thing I want to point out is we, we get to see Bishop. So everything that's happening in Children of the Vault is obviously in canon oh. and in continuity. <laughs> Just nobody's talking about so. it. I guess so. I mean, all we, we, all we see is Bishop with a gun, right? So he could be doing something. You're probably right. You're, I'm sure you're right, but I'm trying to make my separate universe theory work. But there he is. Yeah, we see Wolverine, who's uh, you know fighting a monster. We're going to see in the, this week. We see Professor X looking all haggard on Krakoa. Uh, yeah, we we see Iceman being Iceman in San Francisco, I guess. That or he's standing in front of a Riceroni package. It's just kind of a look around at at the rest of the X world, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty pretty fun splash page where you just see all the characters. It, it's nice. So the team ends up splitting up. Always a great idea. Uh, one group is going after the Mushroom Girl, and I guess we'll see that next issue. We don't really get it here. The other group goes after Callisto, who's on a boat with several other Morlocks. We actually get a pretty decent explanation here for why these mutants didn't get forced through one of the gates on Galanite. Yeah, it fits your story. Yep, it fits that your whole idea. makes sense. If you're out yep. on a boat, what are you going to do? Too far away. So just before the Dark X-Men get to their boat, this group gets attacked. And I think several of them look like they're plain old dead. They're attacked by the razor-like wings of a skull-headed version of Angel. So this, I guess we got to assume, is what the Goblin Queen did with Warren's body back in that first scene. Although, I don't know why Orcas would be all that worried about a boat full of Morlocks. Why Why do they care about these, you know, just weird-looking, not-really-powered mutants? Maybe we'll find out next issue because that's where this book ends. So yeah, not not my favorite book. None of the characters really drawing me in. I, I mean, I came in with some real warmth for Havoc, mostly from the Hellions book, but he doesn't get a whole lot to do. Again, lots of characters, tons of plot lines, not so many pages to go around. Now, it is kind of fun to see Maddie trying to take on the roles of both, like, she's trying to be Charles Xavier and Jean Grey in this weird world, I think. Like, she's trying yes. to step up, yes. but she's not very good at it because she's Madeline Pryor. 
Yes. So I, I like that idea. Uh, I don't hate the book. It's never going to be the top of my to-read pile. Eh, give it a 6.3 out of 10. Oh, rough. Uh, this is my book of the week. I actually loved it, but um, it's mostly because it reminds me a lot of Hellions. The team is so dysfunctional, and they even kind of acknowledge that they're dysfunctional. Um, I think somebody makes fun of Havoc saying, like, of course, the team that you're on is going to be totally <laughs> incompetent to begin with. That is a tradition, yes. And, and now he's basically a zombie, right? It seems like he still has a like neck wound, um, and he's trying to comfort not gimmick and let her know that she's safe, which is hilarious to me. And I like the multiversal evil Madeline, who knows the Goblin Queen. I didn't know much about her, but I now do know enough. Yeah, that comes from the Hickman Secret Wars, and I'm not wading into that continuity. It's it's, it's too complicated for me. Yeah, understood. So I, I I don't know. I was won over by just like silly situations and and humor. It is a weird book, I admit, and I agree with you. It's not the key flagship title, right? This is just if you like this type of book, read it, which I do. And actually, you know, I've worked for enough big organizations to say that the fact that there's all these people doing their own thing and nobody really knows what is going on is actually pretty accurate <laughs> to the way large organizations work. Um, doesn't mean that it's stupid, right? Like they, they really should do better, but um, yeah, it's funny. And I think there's pretty good for it. It fits the tone and style of this group of this like that's, kind of. That's true. It, it looks creepy where it's supposed to be creepy. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was fun. So, I mean, what's your number? Give me a number. Uh, say 7.5. 7.5. That's pretty good. On to our third book of the week, which is Alpha Flight number two of five, Divided We Stand, part two. And this strikes me now for the second issue here that Divided We Stand refers to United We Stand, Divided We Fall. Which is a very American phrase to use for a book about a Canadian team. Let's let's say that's on purpose. Let's find out. Uh, it is, of course, written by Ed Brisson, art by Scott Godleski, colors by Matt Miller, letters by Travis Lanham, design by Tom Muller with Jay Bowen. Now, the first issue was and Jay Bowen, which I'm still sure means something. No idea what, but I'm going to get to the bottom of it. So here we have one team pretending to be two opposing teams. Back in Dark X-Men, we thought they were two teams, but they're really one. Here, they're putting on a show. We've got the official Alpha Flighters who are pretending to work for Department H, persecuted mutants. And then there's the team of mostly mutants pretending to be fighting against the official Alpha Flighter. Both groups are really working together to rescue mutants, to rescue mutants, stash them in a bit of northern Manitoba they confusingly call Krakoa North, and they hope to eventually ship them all off to the Shi'ar Empire for safekeeping until all this Orcus nonsense blows over. Now, last issue, we weren't sure if Department H's robot guy, Roger Box Jr., was or was not in on the whole secret mission thing. Now, I'm pretty sure in this issue he isn't, because Roger directly controls his Box Sentinels against the mutants. He seems to be doing it pretty sincerely. So up in Canada, we see that the woman known as Nemesis is kind of wearing herself out. She's a teleporter via a magical sword, and she's indispensable to this whole plan as a means of getting the rest of the mutants up to Krakoa North. But she's being pushed like up to her physical limits as every teleportation just drains her. So this plot seems to be setting her up to fail at some dramatic moment. Meanwhile, down in Oregon, USA, mutant and former Alpha Flighter Feedback, a.k.a. Albert Lewis, possibly Albert Louis, is on the run from Orcus authorities. He's spotted in a diner where the owner rats him out. The official Alpha Flighters want to go rescue their old teammate, but they're ordered to stay away. A Canadian government team you know, flying into the U.S. would be 
an international incident. For some reason, though, it's okay for Canada to send the robot box sentinels in. Did you see why this was okay and the other part wasn't? Did they explain it at all? No, I think it's basically it, they suggested first that it's an international incident, but then they say they don't really care about that. They just want to make sure it gets done right. And they don't trust that the plane's going to get there in time and actually successfully detained because they haven't successfully detained everyone they've gone after. Oh, so do we think that, uh, what's her name, the new character of Department H, that she suspects that something's up with Alpha Flight? I think she thinks either something is up or they're incompetent. Hmm, okay. Yeah. Well, so the box sentinels are there, but they're not entirely effective as feedback does exactly what Hulk does in issue one of his new series and just starts busting up both them and the entire dino. On the last page, the unofficial team of Nemesis, Dokken, who is now, what are we supposed to call him, Fang or something? Yeah. Speaking Fang. of pointless mutant team cha- name changes, uh, North Star and Aurora, they all arrive at the diner and join in on the Sentinel bashing. And that's really all I have to say about this book. It's you know, it's it's doing its thing. It is connected with the whole Orcus plot. They're just trying to get some mutants up to Canada for safety. Yeah, for me, it's kind of just okay. It's drawn well. The characters are decent. Again, a lot of them, and I don't feel like I really spend enough time with really any of them. And I'm just not super interested in the story it has to tell. So, so Ruben, maybe, was there more in there that I'm not seeing? Make, make no. you like this book more. No. <laughs> no? Oh, no. Uh, I, I liked it more this time. I don't know why. It didn't annoy me as much. But even within the pages of the book, it says that it's inconsequential. Because I think the the whole plot oh, no. of like of Krakoa North is about how they're going to get the rescued mutants over to um, Xandra, right? The Shi'ar Empire. But they've got like 26 of them, right? Something That's what they like that. say. They've rescued mm-hmm. like 26. I'm like, that number is nothing, right? We've already seen like thousands in different places, right? Like, they're not doing a very good job. Yeah, I mean, you could say that every rescued person is a big deal to that person, but yeah, as far as global impact, worldwide impact, it's Yeah, it's, not it's nothing. Because I think in the Wolverine um, Ghost Rider crossover, there was like a town that had like 150. <laughs> so... Yeah, again, yeah. Uh, we were asked about this on uh, Slack. I think it was, was it was it Niels who asked, right? About mm. the deal with the whole catching mutants on Earth means orcs is going to kill people and super inconsistent across the books. And yeah, it's, it's not really an enforceable threat because the threat has to be secret because the rest of the world isn't supposed to know that orcs is a bunch of bad guys. So, so it's, it's uh, fine, but it's not anything I would encourage anyone to read. I, I'm, I'm just at a six on this one. It's kind of like, it's a book. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> words, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a six as well. It is. Uh, <laughs> I did put uh, belatedly that poll up in the uh, our Slack channel. It is Matt Razor's favorite X book of the week. So sorry, <sighs> Matt. We didn't, we didn't like it very much. Maybe maybe next time uh, I'm out uh, raising money, you can be on here and, and explain why you think it's such a great book. But six out of ten for both of us. Nobody likes Canadians. That can't that, be that his favorite book. That was who said that. Uh, please write into him directly. <laughs> I'm I'm a curler. I gotta love Canadians. <laughs> Moving on to our very, very last book of the week. This is Wolverine number 37, which is an awful high number for this era. It is called Last Mutant Standing Part 1, written by Ben Percy, art by Juan Jose Rip, colors by Frank Darmada, letters by Corey Pettit, designed by Tom Muller, 
and Jay Bowen. So this last and standing arc, I, I did look ahead, it's all team-up issues. First with the Hulk, next with Cap, then Black Panther, and finally Spider-Man. Uh, Previews World does list a Wolverine number 41 supposedly coming out in January, which is the month that we think that maybe the other book's going to stop. There's no cover or solicitation there, so I'm guessing that maybe maybe Wolverine 41 never actually comes out. Maybe this volume ends with number 40. Who knows? So in this issue, Logan tracks down and kills all three of the remaining clone Marines. I really expected it to be like one per issue, you know, a scavenger hunt kind of a thing. There is a short prelude where Percy pays some lip service to the idea of this being when Orcus is doing its thing, and Logan gets some info from his pal Jeff Bannister. He then heads off to Canada, Ruben hates Canada, where the action really gets started. Well, just to, just to be clear, just to be clear, nobody likes America either, and we probably deserve it. I, I shouldn't say probably, we do deserve it, but yeah. And I've got some, yeah, mostly poking fun at our neighbors to the north because I'm immensely jealous of how nice their cities are. Okay, once again, direct all tweets and email to Ruben Director. <laughs> so, up there in, in the, uh, the paradise of Canada, uh, Logan specifically ends up back at the ruins of the Howlett estate where he grew up, at least in, I think, the current version of his retconned backstory. So this clone Vereen felt a pull to return to its ancestral home, which is kind of an interesting idea, but it also felt a pull to start eating human flesh. And judging by the huge pile of bones, a whole lot of human flesh. I mean, mm -hmm. good grief. This looks like, uh, it looks like Arako after, uh, that, uh, event where, uh, Eternals Ornos died, came. Ornos yeah. came and killed everybody. This is huge piles of bones. I mean, not just people either. We see some deer, a moose, and a bear. My gosh. How long has this clone even been up there? Uh, now, it has been long established in the Marvel Universe that if you're in Canada and you eat human flesh, there's only <laughs> one thing that's going to happen to you, right? You become a Wendigo. That's, that, them's the rules. Now, the Wendigo- I think that's in real life, too. It's <laughs> uh, not just a comic thing. I'm pretty sure that happens if you're- if you're out I there think, in Vancouver. Well, well, only one way to find out. We'll, we'll see. Next <laughs> time I'm in Canada and there's somebody I really don't like, we'll see what happens. But the Wendigo first appeared in Marvel Comics in 1973 in Incredible Hulk number 162. And he'd show up again in 1974 in Incredible Hulk number 180, which is also the first appearance of Wolverine. So these characters, Wolverine, Hulk, and, and Wendigo, have been associated with each other for a long time. So it, it's kind of kind of makes sense that uh, they all show up here together kind of at the end of this Wolverine run. So when Wolverine gets ripped slash bitten in half by the Wolverine Wendigo, yeah, we're not too surprised to see Hulk kind of pop up to help, help out. Plus, he was on the cover, so we're not surprised at all. Interestingly, we don't see the full Hulk versus Wendigo battle, only the aftermath. The very, very disgusting aftermath. And Banner decides to hang out with Logan for a while to help him track down the now two remaining clones. Now, Ruben, are you reading the current Incredible Hulk book, which is on, like, issue three or four or something like that? No. I kept getting confused between um, Jeff Bannister and Bruce Banner. Every time I saw Bruce Banner with the long hair, I was like, what the heck is Jeff Bannister doing <laughs> here? And I was like, oh, kind of a, wait. A mullet-type situation <laughs> going on, don't they? Yeah. So, Bruce Banner, is he looks very haggard here, which does fit with his current book. I don't. He's got a lot going on in America in the current book, so I'm not quite sure when he fits in this worldwide tour with Logan, but probably shouldn't think about it too hard. Okay, so that's clone number one. 
taken care of. The second clone somehow found its way to Aokigahara Forest in Japan. And a letter from Jeff Bannister tipping them off sends Logan and Banner there as well. Now, this is a real place. It's a spot infamous for suicide. Now, you may remember a few years back, some jackass YouTuber went to Japan, showed a suicide victim on camera. Remember that? I think it was uh, Logan Paul, one of the Pauls, I think. So he got in trouble for that thing. And that was this location. That was this, this forest. Now, Ben Percy references this tradition obliquely, which is, it's the right way to do it. Now, this clone Vereen has been adopted by a cartoonishly comic book style death cult because they can cut his throat over and over again, and hey, he don't die. Also, his blood has healing properties. I think the head of the cult stabs himself and then heals himself with Wolverine blood. Is that what yeah, happens? Yeah, I, I don't think it works that way, but apparently it does in this death cult. It does. Sure, why not? So there's a, a big old fight. Logan triggers Banner to hulking out, which pisses off Banner. And Hulk squishes the clone, I guess, beyond the point of its limited healing factor. So two down, one to go. And, and both of these first two clones killed by Hulk. Anything else to add about this little segment? It happens really fast. It, it does. I mean, this is a slightly oversized book. It's 35 pages of the digital edition, probably with, you know, not, not even with an ad at the end, 35 pages of, you know, full comic. It almost makes me wonder if this was originally going to be an arc to itself, and then it got truncated by the end of the whole Krakoan era. But, but anyway, it yeah, does probably. feel like a very quick-moving issue, like things kind of got sped up. I, I was happy with that. I, if this had been three issues, I would have been kind of annoyed. Yeah, the the action movie feeling is helped by the by the pace, so maybe it was always supposed to be this way. It, it does work well for what it is. So, the third and final clone is in Madripoor acting as the figurehead for a gambling ring being being run by Solemn. Hey, that's two weeks in a row we get Solemn as a supporting character. Did not see that coming. So it kind of makes a decent amount of sense for the clone to be used this way, although I don't know how he got there. I mean, just throw an eye patch on him, parade him in public now and then, and everyone in Madripoor thinks the famous patch has returned. I think it makes a bit less sense for Solemn to put the fake patch in arena battles. <laughs> but he's solemn. He doesn't have to make sense. He's, you know, the Roman emperor in the decadent days, just trying to have some fun, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't tell what Solemn is supposed to know about Bruce Banner. He clearly recognizes the name because he says, oh, this is going to be so much fun. But then he's shocked when he sees Banner actually Hulk out. <laughs> yeah, that part made me laugh. So I guess he only my, knows him as the famous physicist. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, my guess here, it's, it's like the Grand Canyon. Right? Uh -huh. Grand Canyon. Has, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Yes, several times. So maybe you'll agree with me that it's a famous place. You've seen pictures, you know, which is amazing, amazing sight. But when you get there and see it in person, it's more epic. Yeah. It's more epic than you could. It, it, it exceeds every expectation. Unlike the Statue of Liberty, which is a huge letdown. Okay, so Logan taken on Canada, America, and New York City in this issue. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that, that's how I'm conceiving this. Is, yeah, he knows he's the Hulk, but he doesn't know. The Hulk. So that's what I'm going with. So there's another there's another big fight. This time Logan gets in the killing blow. And a confusing art where he looks like he chops through the clone's head, but then the head's still attached. I, I didn't quite get it. Maybe it's the healing factor that kind of halfway kicking in. Did you get that? I didn't care to get it. I didn't, didn't care to get it. About it. He's like, oh, he, he just does killed throw him. in a there can be only one Highlander clone. Yeah. Which I could have done without. It's kind of, it's we've, we've done that before. Kind of lame. Uh, and, and then on the closing page, Logan tells us that his next self-assigned mission is, quote, bringing down Orcus and bringing back mutant kind. 
Now, those are two big missions, and I kind of doubt they're going to happen here in the Wolverine book. You know, <laughs> hey, good luck to him. <laughs> yeah. So, overall, I'm a little disappointed. I shouldn't be. Ben Percy is who Ben Percy is. But I would have loved to see more wrestling with the philosophical implications of these Logan clones, right? <laughs> yeah, that part don't, bothered me. We've got Madeline Pryor, and they also supposedly get smarter over time, right? They were only feral because they were suppressed by Dark Beast. Right, they were getting smarter. Now, okay, the first one in Canada, the one who turns into a, a That's kind of irredeemable. Wendigo, yeah. You, you got to kill him off. I, I get yeah. that. He needed killing. But yeah. uh, the second one, the second one, the deal is that he was just kind of trying to be part of a group and be useful, trying to be yeah. help people in a really <laughs> twisted way because he ended up falling in with a death cult, but it really wasn't his fault. And then the third guy was just being exploited by Solemn. So to have Logan just kill them all off and not even say, well, it's too bad. I can't leave them, let them live because X, Y, or Z. I would like to see a, a little more about that. But that is not what Ben Percy is interested in. So, yeah, uh, the book, what the book is interested in is being, as we've said, the past few issues of Wolverine, a really cool action movie. It has some great set pieces. I think the Wendigo fight is my favorite. Uh, the book really leans hard on having great art. And uh, Juan Jose Reap continues to give us really great art. I think the same story with a mediocre artist would not be a good book at all. But I think the art really makes it. Uh, the, the, the best parts, the best uh, panels were that Wendigo reveal splash page. Also, the bit with Logan getting bitten in half. Some of the brutal, earth-shaking Hulk punches. Good stuff. I would, after this uh, series is over, I would love to see the artist get a shot at, like, I don't know, Venom or Thor or maybe even on the Hulk. I think I, I want to see more from, from Juan Jose Arriba. So, again, mostly for art and just because the book does what it's setting out to do, even if I wish it were doing something else, I got to give this book a uh, 7.5 out of 10. Yeah, I'm a little lower on it. I'm just going to say 7. The, art, the art's great. The story's fine. Um, but I, I don't even know if I read every panel by the end. I was just kind of flipping through it because it, it just got predictable. It's like, okay, it's just going to go point A, point B, point C, kill everyone. And that's what he does. Yeah, it's 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 that kind of book. I know there are people out there who love the the comic books for the action scenes, and if that's what you want, this really delivers that. It's just it's not so interesting for you know me and Ruben to to talk about and speculate about because it's just yep, he killed him again, and that's what it is. Okay, that is everything for this week. Next week we have even more number twos. We have Jean Grey number two, Ms. Marvel number two, Realm of X number two, and Invincible Iron Man number ten. So until that day, Ruben, what do you think listeners can do to keep themselves occupied? Uh, I'd say read more X-Men books, but you could just read the ones that came out last week. There were so many freaking books. There's a lot of X-Books, and hey, maybe there won't be in a little while, but for right now, X-Men fans, enjoy those books. <laughs>